welcome to One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life with your host, Michael R. Hurst, a weekly dialogue about how you can manage the things that we methodically push down deep inside ourselves, the stuff we whisper about and hide from, and where you may get to say that one more thing before somebody walks out the door or to those you lost or are losing. We are happy you're here. Come on in and join the conversation. Here's Michael. Welcome to this week's episode, That Thing About How the Health Industry Just Might Be Killing Me. This week, we're having a conversation with Nicole Hurst, who just happens to be our daughter, a young woman under the age of 35 working full-time with a great job and belongs to an employer-sponsored health insurance program. She's dealing with health issues that still has trouble getting the insurance company to authorize necessary procedures to keep her health on a positive path before it's too late to change it. Although she has insurance, her deductibles are so high that she couldn't afford to go have these procedures done even if they were authorized. She falls into the category of being underinsured and she's got physicians that are refusing to give her medication or give her a prescription for medication that could help her immensely because they don't like the medication. So if you've ever been denied a procedure, have such a huge deductible that you can never get anything done, have problems with your billing, issues with your physician or your surgeon not wanting to work with you on your health, please join the conversation because you're not alone. Welcome to the show, Nicole. I can't wait to share your story. Please tell everybody a little bit about yourself. I am 27 and I'll be 28 this year. And uh, I live in Tennessee, in Knoxville, Tennessee. I moved here last year for a job, which has been really great so far. I love Tennessee. I love my job. Um, but unfortunately, I have always dealt with a lot of health issues. And as of right now, my health insurance is not helping me. According to an article in Fortune magazine, the number of underinsured Americans has steadily climbed, increasing from approximately 29 million in 2010 to 44 million in 2018. Underinsured is defined by those whose out-of-pocket cost or deductibles comprise 5 to 10 percent of their income. These individuals find it more difficult to cover their medical bills, which can often turn into debt. In 2018, 27.9 million non-elderly individuals were uninsured or underinsured, an increase of nearly 500,000 from 2017. Nicole falls under the underinsured category. I'm sure just like many of you do. As I had said earlier, she has an employer-sponsored health plan. Unfortunately, she's got a $3,000 deductible that needs to be met, just like a very, very large number of individuals across the United States. So $3,000 for anybody, whether you're a single woman trying to make a living or whether or not you're a family that's trying to make a living or an older person who's living on a limited income, that's somebody's rent, that's groceries, that's gas, that's mortgage payments. The healthcare industry is literally forcing you to make a choice between your health care and your rent or your food. This discussion might get a little personal, but I think it's a benefit to everybody out there to understand exactly what the insurance is not covering for you, even um, at the age you're at or because of the age you're at, in spite of the fact that the doctors have tried to ensure that you get these tests taken. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I, I'm really open about my medical issues and I'm really open about um, my opinions on what I can and cannot get covered. Uh, well, I used to have really great insurance from my parents. When I was going through two and a half years of testing before I was diagnosed with my endometriosis, I went through MRIs, CTs, blood tests, uh, even surgery, and everything was covered. 
And over the last few years, even their deductible has gotten higher and their coverage got lower. Well, let's talk about yours since you're you're still well under 35. Are your friends in the same kind of positions? Do you do you your friends or your coworkers? Um, not that I know of. Um, most of my friends at work, uh, took the HSA plan that was offered through our insurance and I have the PPO. Um, unfortunately for me, but fortunately for them, they don't go to the doctors often. They don't have prescriptions. They don't need surgery. Um, so I'm the one that has the, the PPO, which has the really high deductible and in need of, of doctor's visits all the time. So you get your insurance from work. And obviously the insurance plan that you get from work isn't necessarily their fault due to what's covered and what's not covered. No, not at all. It's uh, it's definitely still the insurance. And of course, I understand that the company that I work for has to choose what's best for everyone, including them. Did you ever consider the marketplace, like the, the, they call it Obamacare or the, the healthcare marketplace? Yeah, I actually used to have it a couple times when I was back in Arizona. So let's clarify, when you were 26 years old, by federal law, you were off of your parents' insurance, you got a job, and you were able to go after some other insurance because you were making pretty good money. Yes. Um, I was making more per year than I am now. And uh, back way back when it first started, they were doing the discounts based on what amount you made per year, however much you make per month. And I was able to get a really great discount on my premium. Um, so it was manageable and everything had really great coverage. The deductible was really low. Even I think the emergency room was something like $75, which is really great compared to everything else I've ever had. Um, and when I looked into it before I started this health insurance, when I started my job and re-looked at it when they were renewing our plans. Um, unfortunately, they don't offer the discounts anymore, at least for me. And the premium per month was going to be anywhere, probably like $250 minimum a month and offered the same coverage, if not worse than what I have now. So honestly, with what I pay per month now, it's I just had to choose this. Do you think your age plays a factor in your coverage? And why do you think that? I do. I think that it plays an, uh, a factor when it comes to diagnostic services. Um, everyone has the same deductible as me and everyone pays the same per service. Um, but there are things that I need medical wise that my doctor has tried to ask for as a diagnostic test that they won't give me because of my age. I know you're going through a variety of health issues, but let's start with your endometriosis. What is it and how does it affect you? Uh, endometriosis is when the tissue that's supposed to line the uterus uh, actually grows on the outside of your uterus. Um, it grows on all the surrounding organs. It grows specifically, it, it grows on my pelvis um, and my nerves and my ovaries. And That's got to be scary. What did you do? Last year, I went to the doctor only to find out that it has probably spread, which I needed a colonoscopy for to um, confirm. And it was way too much money out of pocket. It was not covered by my insurance. So I never went through with it. And now I'm just trying to live through that. And I've also went to the doctor because I was having breast pain and she said that she felt something. Um, she wasn't sure if it was a lump or a nodule or anything, but it was something that needed a mammogram. 
Uh, and unfortunately, because of my age, the insurance won't cover a mammogram for me. So I would have to pay out of pocket, which I can't afford. We will address the issue with your breast and the mammogram and so forth. But let's start with a typical day with endometriosis. So what are your symptoms? What does it do to your body? And how does it affect your daily routine? So our listeners can understand if they've never experienced it, or if they are experiencing, they can recognize it. My biggest one right now is the pain and the bloating and the uh, immunity issues, the nausea, um, and the nerve issues. Uh, when I was originally getting diagnosed, I had a lot of nerve issues that they thought was MS, but it turned out to be the endometriosis that was growing on the nerves in my pelvis. Explain to our listeners what what do you mean by nerve issues? Um, I was just having a lot of neuropathy symptoms. So I was losing feeling in my legs and my fingers. Uh, I was really shaking. Uh, I had a lot of tremors. It was really, I was working on my feet as a barista at the time and it was just really hard to get through a shift because my legs would just go numb and I, I couldn't walk and I didn't know what was happening to me. How would you describe the pain that endometriosis or endo causes you? Well, for women, um, imagine the worst day of your worst period in your whole life and times that by 500. And that is what you feel mostly every day, depending on the stage that you're in. Uh, there's four stages and I'm number four. The, the pain is excruciating, especially if you still have your period. Um, but it a lot of the time and it it affected me um a lot in high school before I knew that I had this but a lot of the time women during their menstrual cycle are in so much pain that they are getting sick that they can't get out of bed they don't go to work they don't go to school it it makes you completely bedridden so how does that affect your daily routine well while i was on my feet during a few of my jobs in the last you know, decade maybe. Um, I did have a lot of issues. I, I I couldn't stand very long without my pelvis feeling like it was on fire and I couldn't work without my back hurting or the neuropathy issues. Um, now I work at a desk. I work at a computer all day, which definitely helps, but even static sitting is a problem. I have to kind of keep moving around and I have to kind of like reposition myself. Um, to avoid feeling pain in some sort of part of my body. Usually it's my back or my neck or my pelvis um, or even my stomach. And I'm really grateful that where I work, they let you, you know, get up and move around and take breaks, walk down the street and go to Starbucks, you know, anything like that. You can do that as often as you want. So usually about every hour. So it definitely affects somebody uh, at their work. How does that affect your social life? Well, I know that even recently in the past few years since I've gained weight um, because of the hormones and not being able to exercise and the bloating, it's definitely been difficult to try to explain to people why I was taking naps after work and why I didn't exercise and why I didn't feel like going out. Um, 
I mean, even recently I had some friends say that they wanted to go out on a Saturday night and I told them that it would depend on how I feel when I woke up. And when I did on Saturday morning, I told them I couldn't because I just did not have the energy to to worry about um, how the pain was going to affect me throughout the night. When it flares, how long does it usually last? Like, um, is it a day, a week, a month? It depends on the woman. Um, everyone is completely different. But for me, um, it happens, you know, if I if I eat something I'm not supposed to, if I, you know, have, have done a little too much um, exerting myself or tried working out or uh, anything like that. And my doctor told me to do continuous dosing with my birth control because that um, going on birth control is one of the things they have you do uh, in order to like try to relieve the symptoms and control the hormones. And I do continuous dosing to prevent myself from having a menstrual cycle to, to try to relieve the pain. But if I do end up, there are some times where I do still end up having one out of nowhere. Um, and that is probably the worst of it and it lasts the whole time and sometimes after but uh it it really depends but yeah it could be anywhere from a day to a month to five or six months and you're currently not on any medication for it is that correct aside from my birth control no is there anything about the endometriosis that you think uh, uh, people should know that uh, is not necessarily in a medical book or advertised anywhere from a personal perspective? Well, um, to start with, the the symptoms are very, very similar to most of the medical conditions out there that are easy to diagnose. That's why they thought the neuropathy was MS. That's why they thought my migraines were, um, you know, uh, actual just, you know, regular everyday migraines. Um, that's why they thought the bloating was some kind of, you know, colon or stomach or bowel thing. So it's frustrating because there are so many symptoms that are similar to other things. But most doctors that I've come across don't know how to put the pieces together and say, okay, well, we've exhausted all of our other options. We've gone through every test. Um, this might be it. So let's go ahead and have exploratory surgery and see if it's that because the second thing is that endometriosis doesn't show up on any tests, um, diagnostic or otherwise. It doesn't show up on blood tests or imaging. Um, and the only way you actually know if you have it is by having exploratory surgery. And I'm sure that's very frustrating, isn't it? Definitely. I mean, I think that's why it took two and a half years to even get a diagnosis because I know my body. I know it wasn't in my head. I know that I was having issues and to be poked and prodded and pay hundreds of dollars in, in copays for specialists um, and still not have an answer and make it feel like I was crazy. It's it's definitely very frustrating. Well, you've already had one one surgery in regard to the endometriosis, but now you're kind of stonewalled, aren't you? Yeah. So depending on the stage of endometriosis that you have, you are supposed to be getting surgery uh, anywhere from every year to every few years. And I'm like right on the edge of stage three, stage four, most likely stage four, because it has probably spread to other organs and other parts of my body. I got it three years ago 
at the beginning of this month and I should, I should definitely have another surgery by now, but, um, I can't have it paid for until I pay my deductible, which is just way too much. And high. the endo can actually spread to like other organs such as your bowels or your stomach or your intestines. Is that correct? Yes. Um, it can spread as far up to, it can spread to your brain. Uh, if it's left untreated or if it's left unmanaged, uh, it, it can spread anywhere. I mean, it was already on my pelvis and my ovaries um, before. And now, as of last year, it's most likely spread to my um, digestive tract. So this tract. is actually a very serious condition that no matter what age you're at, needs to be addressed medically and medically necessary. Uh, actually, one in 10 women have endometriosis. The problem is that it is not taught very well. It is not covered when doctors go to school. Very, very, very few doctors, especially in my personal experience, actually know what endometriosis is, nor did they put together the pieces of everything I was dealing with, all the pain, all the nerve issues, and nothing showing up on any test. No one could put it together until my chiropractor one day asked me what my symptoms were and she said, look into it. So uh, unfortunately, it's it's not talked about. It's not known and it is extremely hard to diagnose. So are you seeing a gynecologist for your endo? I did have a really great one in Arizona who was the one that diagnosed me and she really helped take care of it. Um, I haven't been able to find one here in Tennessee that takes it seriously. Uh, when I moved here last year, I went to a gynecologist and my main issue was that I needed to go in and, and, and ask her about the new endometriosis um, medication that was on the market. I had family and friends text me telling me like, you should look into this. And, and I saw the commercials and I was totally ready to, to give it a shot. And it's called Arlissa. And when I asked her if I could give it a shot, she refused. And I said, you know, okay, well, <laughs> why? And she said, because it causes bone density problems. And I said, okay, well, I'm willing to, I'm willing to, you know, have that chance, have that possibility if it means that my endo is is taken care of and I'm not dealing with the symptoms like I am. I mean, that's how bad the endo is, is that I would rather risk, you know, bone density issues in order to try and relieve my symptoms. And she just absolutely refused. It wasn't my choice at all. It was it wasn't my choice. And it's frustrating. Now, you've had one operation already with your endometriosis while you were still here living um, in Arizona with us, with being on your parents' insurance, correct? Yeah. Uh, a few weeks after I got diagnosed, I decided that I wanted to have the excision surgery. So they went in laparoscopically and basically cauterized the tissues that were growing outside of my uterus and growing on my pelvis and my other organs. And it's, it helps with pain. It helps with the bloating. It helps it from being spread. Um, unfortunately, there is no cure for endometriosis. And even with a hysterectomy, endometriosis does not go away. It will always be there. But the surgery is the best thing to do to help with the symptoms and, and help relieve life day to day. So what happened with that when you moved to Tennessee? Uh, you're supposed to be getting surgery for someone over 50 on my insurance. It's It costs money to help relieve the symptoms. 
every one or two years or so. Um, mine's been three this year. So while I've been waiting to be able to get the surgery again, I was hoping that once I got a full-time job at a great company with a great salary and health insurance that I would be able to do so. But unfortunately, my deductible is $3,000 a year and I have to pay that before I can get anything covered for a surgery. Do you agree or do you think it's unreasonable for anyone that's trying to make a living, whether they're young or whether they're old? for having a deductible that high in order to get uh, healthcare, something done that is necessity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, $3,000 is a lot of money. Um, to put it into perspective, that is three and a half months of rent for me. And I paid about half of it last year just from paying things out of pocket, going and getting CT and, and all that. And I got halfway there and then the calendar year reset and all of that went away. So $3,000 is is really, really hard to pay. And I even asked my insurance company recently if I could make payment towards it, like a credit card. And unfortunately, you can only pay it with In this claims. particular case, do you think or agree that um, it might be a good idea for you to contact or somebody that's in the same situation to contact the doctor's office directly or the facility directly and see whether or not they can arrange payment to get that taken care of? I do think that there's probably opportunity to make payments. Um, it depends on the doctor, it depends on the facility, the hospitals, the um, the practice. It it depends on everyone because everyone's different in the medical community. I was offered to be able to pay per month with a uh, diagnostic test that I was supposed to have last year, and even even with the per month payments, I couldn't manage it. So unfortunately. It, it will depend on how much the service is and it will depend on how much they're going to ask for per month, if there's going to be interest on it, if there's a minimum per month, you know, all that stuff. So it, it really depends, but it's probably the most, helpful, the most helpful option that you can take if you really, really need something So theoretically done. for anybody that's um, middle class or below, even making payments is a difficult situation to manage because of the current healthcare system the way it is. Yeah, it's, it's impossible. I mean, even if someone was making twice as much as I am right now and they wanted to make payments towards it, they they wouldn't be able to. They'd still just have to pay out of pocket or pay the deductible before anything happened. And it's just impossible. Are you afraid to go to the doctor? Definitely. I mean, I have major anxiety from the two and a half years that I spent trying to get diagnosed with my endometriosis. And I had so many doctors and specialists and negative tests that told me basically I was crazy and that nothing was wrong with me. It was all in my head. I'm just a hypochondriac. And yes, I can be, but usually because something is wrong and I know my body and women need to fight for their bodies and they need to fight for themselves because there are so many things that go undiagnosed with us that doctors don't know about, that they're not educated on. And they need to fight for themselves. So I definitely did that. And that's why it took two and a half years. But yeah, I mean, I was scared to pay out of pocket for my CT last year because 
I knew that if it was my endo, it wasn't going to show up. Endometriosis doesn't show up on any imaging or blood tests or uh, other diagnostic tests. You can only see if you have it by having surgery. And so I knew nothing was going to show up and I spent $500 out of pocket basically for nothing. Well, you were recommended to have a colonoscopy too. Um, didn't you check into it a little bit and it said it was going to cost a large amount of money for you to get a colonoscopy because of the current insurance position that you're in right now? Yes. Um, so when nothing showed up on the CT, it was uh, suggested that I go get a colonoscopy, one, to check to make sure that the endo had spread and see if there's anything they could do. Um, and two, to double check that it wasn't colon or bowel or stomach cancer. Um, Which obviously is something that is necessity. It's a necessity. It's something that is needed. It's not just a whim. It's not like you're going to the spa. It's something that's a medical necessity in order to determine your health status and whether or not you have a serious issue going on with your body. Yeah. And I, it, it it really doesn't make a lot of sense to me that, you know, I'm not the one that went up to a hospital and said, you know what, I'm having some weird issues and I think I want to get a test done. Can you help me with that? It it came from a specialist. It came from an actual gastroenterologist. I know that you're also currently having some issues with a doctor find a lump in your breast or something in your breast. What were your feelings when she said she found something and wanted you to go get it checked out? Well, I mean, I know that I can be kind of a hypochondriac sometimes. So when I when I did start having symptoms um, that were irregular, I went to my primary care physician um, just to get it looked at, get it checked out, make sure it wasn't anything super serious and really to ease my mind that it probably wasn't going to be. But then she, she did an exam and she did say that it, um, she definitely felt something and she told me to go to the emergency room, um, mainly because it was the week of Thanksgiving and I wouldn't have been able to get a test otherwise, you know, within that week. And she didn't know if it was, um, a cyst or, um, anything like that, that, that really needed to be taken care of immediately. So I went to the ER that night and I was, I was scared. I mean, I really didn't think anything would come of it. And my aunt had breast cancer um, just within the last decade. So it's, it's a lot. Can you tell me what you go through on a daily basis with that medical issue, like the pain, the uncertainty of not knowing whether or not it's serious or something that can be resolved quickly? I mean, is that, is that frustrating? That Because I know that you, when you talked to your mom and I, you were um, in a lot of pain when your breast was swollen, unusually swollen, and you were in a lot of pain and you were scared. Yeah. So normally what I'll do when I start, you know, having some really random symptoms that I really don't think is affected by my endometriosis, um, I will go to Google and just see like, okay, is it in my head? Is it probably just whatever. And I put in my symptoms and the first thing that came up was inflammatory breast cancer, which is very rare. And it's not found uh, like the other breast cancers. The swelling, the the pain, everything, it, it just sounded really, really similar. So that was definitely scary to know like, oh, okay, they tell you to do self-exams. They tell you if you find a lump to say something. And mine was completely different. 
So it was kind of, it was, it was pretty scary knowing that, um, it could still be breast cancer just in a different way. Um, that was in November that that started. It's now almost March and I'm still having the swelling and I will have this, this pain, um, it just it's just a stabbing stabbing pain that will come out of nowhere and it will take my breath away and it'll make me double over and it might last you know a couple seconds or a couple minutes or it'll last the whole day um but it is definitely very very hard to deal with this is something that your doctor is fully aware of and when she recommended you go get a mammogram because it's something that needed further investigation due to your symptoms and to the lump size in your breast or whatever she felt, your insurance company refused to pay for it because you are under the age of 35 and it's too expensive to pay on your own. Correct. Um, when she sent me to the emergency room, she wanted to um, rule out anything Definitely not as serious as cancer, but still serious and something that could be taken care of right away, like a cyst or an abscess that needed to be drained or anything like that. So when she sent me to the emergency room, she was expecting for something like that to come up, to get an ultrasound, to do some blood work and uh, have them see if it was something that could be taken care of easily. And when they came back saying that there was nothing in the ultrasound and nothing in the blood test... You and I had spoken about this before. When you went to the emergency room, there was an individual in there that was male who was really, really, really old, as you put it. And he um, had a hard time actually giving you the ultrasound for your breast. And then the individual that you spoke with afterwards was even older, another male. And that person basically said... I really don't know what to look for or what I'm doing in this. So he sent you on your way. Yeah, that did not reassure me at all. I mean, I've been through tons of MRIs and CTs and ultrasounds and blood tests. Just within the last decade, I've been through so many of them, I could probably perform them on myself. So to hear that was was not reassuring at all. I mean, I was already scared. I was by myself and I was not expecting my doctor to say that she felt something. Well, how frustrated and angry were you about that at that point? I was extremely frustrated. I mean, it's it's one thing to not have a doctor take you seriously, but to not have a male doctor take you seriously when it comes to women's health. And on top of that, not be offered a mammogram there and not be given information that you deserve from from someone who I mean they went to school for radiology they went to school to do these things and yet don't perform them very often for one and two have no idea what they're looking for so it was really hard to spend the money that I spent not knowing if I really got a short diagnosis so that's why I went back to my doctor asking for a mammogram because they know what they're doing and she put in for a diagnostic test which diagnostic tests through my insurance, are covered before the deductible. The ultrasound was covered. Uh, Blood tests are covered. And mammograms are covered um, if you are 35 and up before the deductible. In your particular situation, you are having a medical issue that's actually observed and diagnosed by your physician 
that stated you need additional testing in order to rule out whether or not you have breast cancer because just because you're under 35 years old does not mean you cannot get breast cancer. There's approximately 20% of women out there who are under the age of 35 who develop some sort of breast cancer. Yeah, and that's what makes it even scarier that, you know, I'm I'm really lucky that I do have a doctor who takes my symptoms seriously and wants to rule every single thing out and does whatever she can to, to make sure everything's ruled out. And she even prefaced, she wanted me to make sure that I knew that there was a big chance that I was not going to be covered by insurance. Um, and the fact that she knew that and she wanted to make sure that I didn't get my hopes up is frustrating in itself that, that she has to preface it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it came straight from a doctor saying like, this needs to be done. This isn't just, you know, for fun. It isn't just because this girl's a hypochondriac and she wants it done. Like there's something serious here and it needs to be checked out and they, they won't do it because I'm under 35, even though it's covered. If you're 35 and up, it's covered before the deductible. But for me, it's not. And this is not a fun fact that in 2019, approximately 13,000 young women had invasive breast cancer diagnosis. One in 209 women under the age of 30 were diagnosed with invasive breast cancer. Yeah, I bet that makes you angry as well. Yeah, and I mean, I understand that it can be more rare than someone older, but that doesn't justify them saying no in in this kind of a situation. Um, you know, since I started going to the gynecologist, I have been told, do regular self-exams, do regular breast exams. If you feel something, if something's odd, go to your doctor, get it checked out. Did they tell you to wait until you were after 30 years old to do that? They told me 35. They told you to wait till after 35 to keep checking your breast for any issues. They will not. Yeah. So they they say to start young and to do it regularly. And yeah, that's, what that's what I'm asking. Yeah. So, so they're asking there. Did they tell you that you're supposed to start checking your own breast for any abnormalities prior to age 30 or after the age of 30? Oh, definitely prior to age 30. So basically, they're telling you to check them. They're telling you to take care of them. They're telling you if there are any abnormalities that you're to go get them addressed yep. um, almost immediately. But in this particular case, the insurance company decided that because you were under 30, whether or not you were told to continue to check them and the statistics that show that you can still get breast cancer and die from breast cancer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... It's, I'm, I'm completely dumbfounded by it. I mean, I know that I've had my issues in the past with insurance and with medical issues and, and deductibles and everything, but this is, this is one of those that, that I am completely dumbfounded by. Sounds I mean, to me like the health industry is basically making a choice as to whether or not something is going to kill you or let you live. Yeah. Well, basically, you you don't have a voice. I mean, and maybe I'm putting words into your mouth, but 
Do you feel that you don't have a voice in your own health care? Definitely not. I mean, you're, you're, you're absolutely correct. I don't feel like I have a voice at all. I don't feel like I have a choice. It's just not, it's just not the way that it should be, especially in this day and age. Like you'd think that this would have been fixed by now. Yeah, it is the 21st century, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I mean, I was talking to my grandpa the other day and we were talking about it and he said, you know, I, I know you probably think this has just been happening, you know, for a few years or a few decades, but it's been happening for a very long time. We had to deal with it too. And you know, when we were younger and I'm like, how has it not been fixed by now? What do you think needs to be changed in the healthcare industry for not only you, a person of your age, but for others in the same situation? Because obviously it goes across the board, not just for people under the age of 35. It goes it goes across the board. Older people are getting the same kind of treatment now. The um, middle class, lower than middle class, are getting the same treatment now. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, <laughs> I've seen for years how life-saving medication like EpiPens and, and diabetes medication and, and all that, you know, people are just raising the prices to... $500 for one EpiPen and, and people are dying. Like they can't take care of themselves or people are, are rationing insulin because they can't afford to, to pay for it per month. It's a very complicated topic and it's a very politically charged topic. And normally I'm not one for politics, but I have come to the realization lately that my health is, it is the biggest part of my life right now. It is what is driving me day to day. Um, it's my health is controlling my life right now. And I feel like I can't control anything with that. I can't control the insurance or my doctors or surgery or, um, you know, how I want to deal with that. So um, what do you think about Medicare for all? I mean, obviously we, yeah, universal healthcare would be the number one thing, but as for something we can change, right now it we need to be able to make decisions for ourselves we need to be able to say you know if i want a mammogram you're going to give it to me if i want medication you're going to give it to me if i want a partial hysterectomy you give it to me you well, know i know that you fought for yourself and you fought for your own health and like you said earlier you're your own person your own woman and that it's your body and your health what would you recommend to other people out there that may be going through the same journey that you're going through right now? Just with all sincerity that I have and, and all power that I have right now, fight for yourself, especially if you're a woman, you have to fight for your body and do as much as you can with the money you have to take care of yourself. Um, plus speak up. I mean, I got diagnosed with endometriosis three years ago and I just started writing a blog about it because I just had to get it off my chest. And I, I joined Facebook groups and I followed people on Twitter and I became a part of endometriosis foundation of America, uh, endofound.org. If you want more information and I have never been more motivated to make sure that people know what endometriosis is. And that has made me want to talk about healthcare more and it's made me want to fight for myself more. So just keep doing it. Keep, keep fighting for yourself, speak up and then, you know, fight for healthcare, fight for insurance companies to change and, 
tell your doctors that if you want the medicine you want to give it to you. And it should be more affordable. Yeah. Everything less like, you know, lower deductibles and affordable monthly premiums and, you know, still good coverage. Everything needs to just be easier. Well, if you had an opportunity to tell the presidential candidate or a congressional member anything in regard to health care, what exactly would it be? You know, aside from working towards universal health care, just right now, just make it easier for everyone. Get rid of age rules. Get rid of, you know, if it's preventative or diagnostic, make sure that insurance covers all diagnostic services, especially if it comes from the doctor. Um, And I mean, we've been fighting this for decades, but take care of women better. You know, we should be able to have control of our bodies and we should be able to make the decisions we want. If I don't want to have kids, that should not be a problem and I should be able to help my daily living by choosing to have a partial hysterectomy. That shouldn't be someone else's choice. Do you think if universal health care is implemented that the people would unfairly take advantage of this system? I've never taken advantage of the system. I've never had the thought to take advantage of the system. I I have always been the kind of person I was, I mean, I was taught this by you and by mom that you, you can get what you want, but you have to work for it. And that's completely fine with me. That's what's fair. That's what's, you know, the highest of ethics, if you will. Um, I don't expect anything to come for free, but healthcare is a right, not a privilege. And even if, even if it's not free, even if it's not taken care of by the government and everyone gets everything they want, you know, like in other countries, at least make it easier. Make the deductibles lower, make the premiums per month lower, make the coverage better, and give people their choice when they want it. That's It's as simple as that, and it it, it couldn't be any simpler. As a person who has struggled with endometriosis, can you please help our listeners understand what symptoms to look for from your perspective? Yes. So, um, like I said, every woman is different um, with their bodies and with their endo and with their stages, but there are some pretty regular symptoms um, that match other diseases and other uh, medical conditions. So, it's really good to be aware that if if you have these symptoms that and they're not they're not coming up with any answers with tests or anything that you know that it could be endometriosis. So um, obviously chronic pain with menstruation um, during a menstrual cycle is a huge part of it. Um, pain during intercourse, um, problems with uh, like bowel movements and urination, infertility, um, back pain, chronic fatigue, um, lower abdominal pain, bloating, um, migraines. Um, those are, those are probably the biggest 
the biggest symptoms that are probably like the most widespread um, across the women that I've talked to or that I've, I've read stories about. Um, and they're also the main symptoms that come from any other medical condition. So like I said, I mean, I spent two and a half years full of medical tests and specialists and nothing was coming up, but it turned out to be this night. It, so you just, as long as you're aware that this is a possibility, if nothing else is coming up, then, then at least, you know. And if you're experiencing any or all of those, I would recommend, and I'm sure Nicole would as well, to insist that your gynecologist or your physician explore it further for being endo. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I don't want any other woman to have to go through the amount of time and the hospital stays and the poking and the prodding and the machines and the specialists and feeling like you're crazy like I did. Um, you know, you know your body more than anybody and you need to be able to fight for that. So, If you'd like to tell your story about your experience with endometriosis and the issues that you have or are having or have had in the past, please visit Nicole's blog at endowarriorblog.com. Thank you, Nicole. And hopefully you might be able to share your story so that you know somebody out there is listening. Absolutely. Um, I would love to have stories from other women with endo, their struggle with infertility, uh, what they've done to alleviate their symptoms, any recipes that, you know, of good of good food uh, that they've that they've tried that have helped alleviate their symptoms. And especially people in the medical community who research endometriosis, um, who take care of women with endometriosis, I would love to get some more really great information from you guys. So what's the next move for investigating and researching what's going on with your breast? I, I do have an upcoming appointment at a cancer center here. And because they won't give me the mammogram, they, they are still willing to give me the ultrasound, which is covered. Um, and given the fact the last time I went, you know, the ancient male doctor said he has no idea what he was looking for. You know, I figure I might I might just go in and have have the real experts and the specialists take a look at it and see if see if we can go any further. Well, we're hoping that things will get resolved with both issues actually. Me too. Nicole, our dear daughter, any parting words or words of wisdom? You know, my choice. My body, my I choice. I couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you for the platform. Endometriosis affects an estimated 1 in 10 women during their reproductive years. That's usually between the ages of 15 to 49, which is approximately 176 million women in the world as of May of 2017. There are some resources that may be available to you to help you in your journey with your health and your health insurance. I want you to fight. It's your body, your choice. You may find and contact your congressman or your state senator at the U.S. Capitol switchboard operator at 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. And let them know that you have a voice and that you demand they help fix the health care system in this United States and that you are a person, not a bottom line dollar symbol. I have provided several links and contact information in the show notes. Take control of your health and your health journey. Again, your body, your choice. This is your host, Michael R. Hurst, signing off for this week. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go, have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved. Thank you.